Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Take a deep dive into this chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Revelation, telling of things to come. In this message, we'll be in chapter 2 as we look at four of seven churches that Jesus addresses. We'll look at the next three in part two. Enjoy the message. All right, we're going to be in Revelation, if you want to turn specifically to Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. And as you do, let me just, uh, just share this about awareness. We need to be aware that Christ is coming back. And um, I, at my old house, I lived next to a rental. And something that you know with a rental is people kind of come and they go, right? And in this home, people came and went, uh, new families or new individuals about once a year. And there was this one individual, he was in his 40s, and he introduced himself. He said, hello, my name is, and he told me his name. And then he said, I party a little bit. Don't know why he said that. I think it was his way of just saying the obvious that he didn't party a little bit. He partied a lot. In fact, that first night, he inaugurated his his day in the house by pulling out the slip and slide at midnight and started sliding down the slip and slide, at least in his clothes, though, thankfully. Um, But uh, anyway, I'm like, what? I'm looking out the window. I'm like, what is going on out there? And he's like, "Ah," you know, going down the slip and sliding. I said, Allison, they are slip and sliding down their backyard at midnight, okay? Like, he said he partied a lot. If this is his, or partied a little bit, uh, he parties a lot. He parties a ton. Well, uh, it, it just got worse. There was one night they got so dead drunk, uh, they, I don't know if they were in their home and they went outside or they, they came back from somewhere, but they began knocking at our door in the middle of the night. We opened up the door and we had to plead with him that this wasn't his house. They didn't believe it. It's like, let us in. No, this isn't your house. Your house is over there, all right? No, 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 your, your, your house is over there, all right? Well, and some of the people that were with him, they, they went to the other neighbor's house, they fell in the bushes, fell asleep, and they woke up the next morning like, Whoa, why am I not in my bed, right? Yeah, neighbors, you know, we love them. And so we really do, we're to reach our neighbors. Uh, but you know what, it's often, the reason why I tell you that story is because that is probably one of the craziest things that has ever happened to us when it comes to the neighborhood, and, uh, and, and we look at that and we're like, man, that's just so silly. Like, they just don't know where they're at. And it's for good reason that we're sober. It's good reason why, we, why the Bible values sobriety. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be sober-minded so that you may pray. So it's easy to point at people that have kind of lost it or they're drunk or they're high on something. Like, man, they don't even know where they're at. But I want you to know something about this passage. It's not just for drunk people. It's for you and I. Because we could get, we don't want anybody getting drunk on drugs or alcohol, right? But you just don't get drunk on those things. You can get drunk on yourself, on your own way of life. You can get drunk on complacency. You can get drunk on your possessions. You can get drunk on, on worrying about your future. You can get drunk on so many things. That is, that thing that captures your attention. That thing that that you obsess with. That thing that you have laser focus that everything else just doesn't even exist. And what can happen is if we get drunk on something that is not Jesus, if we get drunk on something that is of no eternal worth, I want you to know you will not be ready for Christ's second coming. That is a sober warning. We need to be ready. Christ could come back at any moment. A thousand years are but a day to the Lord. He could come back at any moment. Jesus said this, but he said that we wouldn't know the day or time. But what he did say is, we can know the seasons. Matthew 24, verse 4, let me read this to you. Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. So that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of the labor pains. So Jesus is very clear that we can begin to see the labor pains. Now in two weeks time, I'm going to tell you why I believe that Jesus could come back in our lifetime. I'm not certain of that. I'm not going to stake all my theology on that. We could all uh, live a ripe age and, he, and Jesus could come back in 300 years. And if he comes back in 300 years or 1,000 years, does that mean that he's late? Not at all. But we need to be ready because I do believe that his time is near. We need to be ready. The church needs to be ready. We need to be on mission. But to be ready is this. It's not just to say that you're ready. It's to, you need to be intentional. You need to prepare what are you going to do to be ready? 
So the main idea is this, and then we'll get into Revelation here. The main idea is this, as you're taking notes, and please take notes. You're not going to remember anything in the book of Revelation if you're not taking notes. I don't care even if you have a photographic memory. It just won't happen, all right? Here's the main idea. Intentionality precedes preparation. Intentionality precedes preparation. You have to be intentional if you're going to be prepared for a second coming. No one's prepared on accident. If you're going to go on vacation... You just don't wake up in the morning, jump in the car, and drive somewhere. I mean, you can. I mean, some people do that just to, you know, talk about it on Facebook and Instagram. We did the spontaneous trip. Didn't pack anything. We just ended up somewhere. Where'd you go? I don't know. We ended up in Oklahoma. Okay, great. That's fine. But if you're going to have a well-intentioned vacation, you're going to take time to pack. You're going to take time to plan. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna research where you're going. You're going to have a budget for what you're doing. To have a good vacation, I'm going to tell you, go ahead and do the spontaneous one once. It's fun to talk about. But if you want to have a fun vacation, plan, right? Let's take your physical health, for instance. You may think your health is okay simply because you're ignoring it. You don't go to your yearly physicals. Uh-oh, that's, that's hitting some of us, right? I didn't go to my physicals for so long I lost my doctor. I had to plead with him. Please take me back, right? But we don't go to our physicals, we don't go to the doctor, and we feel all right, but we don't know if we're all right or not. We're not preparing, you know, maybe our prep is we have a diet of Twinkies, McDonald's, ice cream, we wash it down with a slice of pizza. And our only exercise is watching sports. And you're shocked when you actually go to the doctor and they said, hey, uh, your numbers are off, uh, you, you need to exercise more. What do you mean I need to exercise more? Well, how do you exercise? Uh, I, I walk around every once in a while. Yeah, you need to exercise more. We're shocked. We're shocked why our doctor gives us bad reports when we're doing bad things. Well, the same can be said spiritually speaking. To be spiritually prepared means, first and foremost, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. A personal relationship with Jesus has nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with you, you being ready and what you've done yourself. To, to be ready, you have to receive Jesus Christ first and foremost. It's not about works. It's about what Jesus has done for you already. You have to freely receive that forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that this very morning. But as you, when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you then begin to grow in him. It is, it, you can't find anywhere in Scripture where it's okay just to receive Jesus and say, okay, I'll see you later, Jesus. See you when you come back. Jesus isn't gonna be cool with that. Yeah, you may be forgiven, but as we'll talk about later on in Revelation, there is a judgment every single person uh, that will face, every follower of Christ will face, and has to do with judging the quality of your work. Works don't save you, but we work, we do good because of what Jesus did for us. Does that make sense? And that judgment of quality of work has some eternal ramifications. It gets really foggy and fuzzy what that means, but if it mentions it, it must be very, very important. Right, church? So, we need to be ready spiritually. We need to know Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. And I don't want us to be shocked when Jesus comes back, have that deer in the headlights look like, oh, he's back. Not like, oh man, he's back, but oh no, Right? Could you imagine the vices that are in our heart? Could you imagine the addictions that come out of our life? Can you imagine the different things that we're involved with that we want Jesus to deliver us from, but we're, it's not that we're trying, it's not that there's a trajectory, it's, it's not that you know, we're, we're struggling and striving with, with the goodness of God, we're just rejecting it. You know what, God? I know I have this in my life, and I'll let you know when I'm ready. Well, listen, here's the deal. What happens if you're not ready when Jesus Christ comes back? Romans 13, 11 says this. Besides this, since you know the time is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. Wake up from your sleep because your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. We don't know when Jesus Christ is exactly gonna come back, but what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt this morning is that we are closer to when he's gonna come back than even a second ago. And we know that what Jesus said is we can begin to see the seasons and when the things get out of whack, you better get ready. Now you might be wrong, that might not be the season of the birth pain he's talking about, but these birth pains that we see throughout history are reminders that indeed there will be a time the birth pain actually is leading to the end. 
Intentionality precedes preparation. Let's go to Revelation 1.9. Revelation 1.9. Let's turn there in your Bibles. Uh, if you have your app, that's a great place to go to as well. If you're a guest, it'll be on the screen. But mark up your Bibles, underline them, get to know your Bibles. All right, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. The book of Revelation, as we said last week, it's a letter. It's written to seven churches. The book of Revelation is a prophecy. It's a message of Jesus Christ that speaks of the circumstances of his second coming and speaks of the circumstances of our our eternal state. And the book of Revelation is also apocalyptic. It uses a rich imagery so that we remember deep truths that we might forget otherwise. Revelation is encouraging. It commands a blessing for all those who read it aloud and study it. But it's also a warning to individuals in the church at large that do not be distracted For the things that distract us or the sin that we decide to live in will make you fall asleep and not be ready for the Lord's second coming. We need to be intentional. Intentionality precedes preparation. To be intentional, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the leader of the church. To be intentional, we need to acknowledge our responsibility of what we're to do in the church. So let's talk about that first one. Intentionality precedes preparation. To be prepared, you need to, number one, acknowledge reality. Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is the leader of the church. Revelation 1.12. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was the one like the Son of God, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. Jesus is the head of of the church. We need to acknowledge a reality that Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is, let's say, not just the leader, he is the head of the church. We are called the hands and feet elsewhere. He is the head, he is the leader. And we notice here the lampstands are a picture of the church. Lampstands were used uh, in biblical days to illuminate, to light up rooms. And what we see here is a picture, it's imagery to show what the church should do. The church should be the light of the world. Uh, the church, the, also, the, the way that these lights were lit was often there was oil. Oil is also a representation of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Not only are we to be the light of the world, we are to be powered, empowered, and fueled by the Holy Spirit. So in this picture, we see Jesus is present among the lampstands. And this is a beautiful picture, that our Lord Jesus is present. He's present amongst his churches. Jesus Christ is present this morning. Even though we physically look for him to come back, his Holy Spirit is present today. The presence of God is present here today. There's nowhere that you can go in this whole world and not be in the presence of God. But there's something particular that happens when two or more gather together uh, in his church that the presence of God manifests in such a way that is particular. And the presence of God also indwells those who have placed their faith and trust in him. The presence of God is made manifest for those that seek to be filled in him anew and afresh. The Lord is present among us. We long for that second coming, but he is here today. He's present right now in this meeting. We don't worship some idea. We don't worship a person that's in a grave, but a real risen savior. And our job is, to, is for him to go before us and for us to follow, to follow his mission, his mandate, to spread his kingdom and to make him famous. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can do this. We can't do this in our own strength. We'll give up. But the Holy Spirit is filling us, or we're to be filled in the Holy Spirit, to do what's otherwise impossible. And so in this picture that we see here in Revelation 1, we see a powerful picture of Jesus written in prophetic and apocalyptic language, which again describes Jesus in a way uh, that again demonstrates the mighty truth of who Jesus is. Notice this. He's dressed in a robe and, and with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. Robes were, were and are today worn by royalty. But this robe specifically was worn that we see described here in Revelation by the high priest. 
In the Old Testament temples, the high priests were the ones who would light the lights uh, in the temple. They're the ones who would preside over the sacrifice. What we see in this picture in Revelation chapter 1 is Jesus is the one that's providing the light. He is, he is tending to the lamps. He's walking amongst the lamps. But Jesus isn't tending over the sacrifices. He is the sacrifice. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. He said it is finished, which means there no longer needed to be any type of sacrifice ever again. He is the complete and total sacrifice. So much so that the veil that was in the Old Testament temple tore in two. We didn't need it anymore. And that veil also separated people from the presence of God. Guess what? We now have the presence of God because Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the dead and we can now have a close personal relationship with him. He is the great high priest. Jesus is the one that tends to our lamp as a church. Jesus is the sacrifice. He saved us. He corrects us. He rebukes us. He encourages us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Everybody say boldness. Boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. We often think that there's still a separation between God and you, that somehow you have to go through somebody. You have to have some kind of guru, whether it be in, in, in real life, or, or maybe you look at me as a guru, or maybe you have a YouTube guru. Oh, you gotta see this guy on YouTube. He's just so anointed. Well, he might be, but you don't need him. You, 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 have, you have Jesus, right? He's helpful. I hope I'm helpful. I hope people in your life are helpful, but we, they are not the gateway to God. Whenever I go to the hospital, I, I usually visit people. They have what's called clergy parking. All right, I don't know if you've ever seen that in a little, uh, in the parkade they have there, the parking garage. Uh, but as I was driving into the parking garage, I'll park right there in clergy parking and go right up and, uh, and visit people in the hospital. But every time I park in the clergy parking, I get dirty looks, right? I get out of the car, I'm wearing, you know, casual clothes. People are looking at me like I'm just this punk that's parking in the clergy parking because it's the closest parking next to the hospital. And I literally, people always say, you're no priest, they're looking for the collar. They're looking for the robe. They're looking for me to go across the street like this, right? <laughs> they're like, you ain't no priest. And you know what I say to them? You're right. I'm not a priest. Ha <laughs> ha. And I run into the hospital. Because <laughs> I'm not a priest. I'm not the priest, the high priest. We are all the priesthood of the saints, which means God has entrusted you with ministry. He's entrusting you to be good stewards of ministry. But we don't need a priest to stand between you and Jesus. What we see right here is Jesus is the great high priest. He died on the cross, tore that veil. You have direct access that you can, let me check the notes here, boldly approach Jesus Christ. You don't need anybody to be the window or the door. Oh, I better go to him so I can go see Jesus. You have Jesus at your disposal. You have the Holy Spirit at your disposal. You don't need a high priest that's on this earth. You need the high priest that is eternal and his name is Jesus Christ. We have a heavenly priest and we can, what the Bible says here, boldly approach him in your time of need, and this, listen, don't misinterpret this. Some people are like, yeah, I go to Jesus when, you know, when the, when the bombs are dropping on my life. No, you are always in need of him. That's the irony of this passage. Jesus is the head of the church. He's our great high priest. Secondly, the reason why we need to acknowledge him as the leader of our church is he leads with all authority. Jesus leads with all authority. Verse 14, the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze that is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sounding of a cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a double sharp-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Verse 14, we see here, white as wool. His hair is white as wool. This is a particularly interesting picture, right? This is apocalyptic language. He's trying to describe what he's seeing. He doesn't necessarily have the words, but also the words that are coming out are helping us with the imagery to, to give us deep spiritual truth of what Jesus is all about. So white connotates the brilliance of his glory, that there's no deceit in Jesus whatsoever. He is perfect. What he says will come true. His promises are not void. 
We can trust him each and every time, even when it seems like, how can we trust him in this situation? He is all-knowing. He's perfect. Notice this. His eyes are like a fiery flame, meaning he can see everything. He knows your spiritual condition. He knows your readiness this morning, what you're thinking, your motivations of whatever you do. Fire is often a picture of judgment. And God wants to burn off all the impurities that are in our hearts this morning. He doesn't do this because he hates us. He does this if you're a child of God because he loves you. He knows you and he's drawing you toward him today. Even though he sees the good, bad, and the ugly, he wants to, he wants to, he wants to literally reprove us to be in that refiner's fire that only he can do. And listen, I want to tell you something. Jesus is the perfect judge. He can see into every single one of our hearts. But I'll tell you who a lousy judge is. You. Me. I can't see completely into your heart. You can't see completely into my heart. And what I want you to know is this, is that yes, we have revelation of what we know that if someone goes astray, someone makes a mistake, that we are to gently, as Galatians 6.1 says, go to that person and help them get back on track. All right, that, that's, that's actually recognizing revelation, right? But there's a fine line between keeping somebody accountable in the faith and trying to judge someone's intentions where it's like, Okay, I see something that's off. Hey, can I talk to you about this? You robbed a bank yesterday. You shouldn't have done that. Oh, okay, thank you, thank you, right? There's something different than that than saying, you're an unredeemable, forsaken person. That's why you robbed the bank. There's a big difference there, isn't there? We are terrible judges. Jesus is the perfect judge, and he does this. He does this with absolute sight, sovereignty. He knows our minds. We see here also uh, that he has a foundation uh, that his feet are like fine bronze, which is a foundation of moral purity. He is our foundation. He's our standard. This is trying to be challenged today. People want to make Jesus in their own image. That's a bad foundation, all right? That's a foundation worse than particle board you can buy at Ikea, all right? You want this firm foundation, and that is the firm foundation of Jesus that sometimes it means even in culture it might be hard for you to articulate or even share or be honest with, but we need to trust Jesus. We notice another description of Jesus here, the stars in his hand, and those represent the churches that we're gonna look at this morning, but also, I believe, represents churches, period, that the church is his, which means he has the churches in the palm of his hands, which means they're his possession, but also we're under his protection as long as that we are following God's word, as long as that we're proclaiming the gospel, as long as that we're gonna be on mission. He has us in his hands, it's protection. But notice this, he had seven stars in his right hand, a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. Uh, That is a description that God comes to protect his church from wolves inside the church, those that that wanna twist God's word and, and spread falsehood. It's also a double-edged sword for those that are outside the church and the outside world that are trying to spread falsehood. He is the perfect judge. He's going to protect his church, and he is in total sovereign control. Amen? The picture of Jesus is one of majesty and authority. And we need to acknowledge this first and foremost. If you're going to be prepared for a second coming, you need to acknowledge in every area of our life the lordship. That means that Jesus is master. Jesus is king. Jesus is the leader of our life. Acknowledge a reality. Jesus is the leader of the church. He's the leader of the world, but specifically we're going to talk about the church this morning because this is where he's finding us this morning, where he has entrusted us with very specific mission. Acknowledge reality, Jesus is the leader of the church. Secondly, we need to acknowledge our responsibility. You will be accountable in how we follow his agenda. We will be accountable in how we follow his agenda. It's one thing to acknowledge, yes, Jesus, your Lord, but what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? We will see this through the examples of the churches that he's writing to, how they're doing with his agenda. The first thing that we'll see is the example of Ephesus, and Jesus knows how you love. His agenda is that we love him and that we love others. And so we will be held accountable how we love. Jesus sees how you will love. Let's go ahead and put that sub point up there if you could, Nicole. Jesus sees 
how you love. Revelation 2.1. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let's talk about, we're, again, we're, we, uh, we're, we, do, we cruise over some areas, we, we, bring back, we go back to them in, in subsequent weeks. Sometimes we get stuck on different words that are really, really important, okay? If we're going to understand Revelation, we need to do this a little bit more, all right? So let's take a look at the angel of Ephesus. That's interesting. That's just something that you could read over. To the angel of Ephesus, that's weird. Okay, moving on. No, hold up. Angels are real. They're real spiritual beings. They are, it, it comes from the word that means messenger of God. Their, their, their whole existence was created to help move forward the kingdom of God. They aren't human. There's something other uh, that were created. A third of them rebelled against God uh, in the beginning of time, and they became what's called demons. And so angels protect you. They move, the for, they move forward the kingdom of God, and they also battle against the demonic forces that try to get you off track or from you accepting Jesus to get you addicted, all those things. So to the angel of Ephesus, angels are servants of God. They exist to help the things of God move forward. But my point of bringing this up is not to have a discussion of angels. It's to show the church's primary purpose is spiritual. It's spiritual. For you to become fully devoted to the things of God, to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that you personally connect Others to the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. That is our vision of Kenosha City Church. That we personally connect others to the power of God through the gospel of Jesus. But unfortunately, many churches have become a club instead of a hospital. They've become a place where we just become a venue to watch. Oh, I can't wait to hear what Tyler's going to play today. Yeah, yeah, you did great, by the way. But, but you know, I just can't wait to see what he's going to play today. Or I can't wait to see whatever, whatever the speaker's going to say today. I can't wait to get my paellis going. All those things are good. They're good. But we're not a venue. We are a place. We're a place where we get in the trenches and we enable others to victory. We get into the trenches. We get into the mud. We get into the situations where God, I know today I might need, I might need an encouragement. Or God, today I know that somebody else might need an encouragement. That's why we have a host team. Did you know that? We have a host team because we realize people are making the big, bold move of coming into a church building that perhaps they've never come in before or perhaps they haven't come in in years. We realize that people are coming and hurting, that this is a hospital. This is not gonna be a club. Kenosha City Church, will never become a club. That's what I want to make the pronouncement today. Can we agree to that? This will never become a venue to where you're simply going to become entertained and, and become a consumer. We will get into the trenches of reaching people for Jesus Christ. Why? Not to make our church bigger and better. I could care less about that. I want to see Jesus become bigger and better, and I believe the time is short. We need to reach this city. We need to reach this nation. We need to reach this world with Jesus Christ. church of Ephesus, the Bible gives great detail to the church of Ephesus. I've spoken about it before. Um, great detail here. Paul would spend three years in Ephesus. He'd build up at the church that was already established with elders. And during this time that we see during Paul's journey, uh, it exploded with new believers. Now, this is interesting because Ephesus was a town uh, that was loaded with uh, paganism. It was famous for its worship of Diana as the temple to the goddess of fertility. So people would come from all over the world to go to this temple to participate in hopes that they would get fertile. But it was also an opportunity to take part in the vile worship of drunkenness and sex. If Las Vegas was a church, the church of Diana, it would be. And the church of Ephesus had to contend with this. As a church, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're to engage this world. We are, we are citizens of heaven. First and foremost, yes, I'm grateful for this country. I really am. Uh, I, I'm grateful for what God has blessed us that we're able to be here this morning and not worry about our, our building get, getting shelled or, or getting arrested for our faith. But even though I'm grateful for the citizenship of being an American, I am much more interested and much more thankful of being a citizen of a citizenship that will never end and that is a citizen of the kingdom of God. As a church, we are to be ambassadors 
of Jesus Christ. Now, someone may say, well, I just want to be a Christian. You know, I just, I just want to go to church. I just want to, you know, hear sermons, and I just want to live my life. I, I just, that ambassador word, that's just, you know, doing the things of mission, that's for somebody else. Eh, wrong, all right? If you, are a, if you said yes to Jesus, guess what? You're an ambassador of Jesus, and guess what? An ambassador is just a word, meaning that's what your role is, uh, but it doesn't mean how well you're doing it, right? Uh, you, you, how we're an ambassador. How, how, how are we doing and being an ambassador? Well, being an ambassador is the way that you talk, the way that you handle your anger, the way that you love, the way you live out your sexuality, the way that you handle your possessions, uh, the way that you even talk about God. Do people see any difference in you than they would an unbeliever on Monday through Saturday, do they? We are ambassadors. There should be a difference. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't, doesn't mean that you have to know everything about the Bible, but you need to represent that there's been a change in your life. In the Ephesians church, they engaged the people, and the people became followers of Christ in such droves. In fact, we're told in Acts chapter 19 that so many people became Christians that they took all their books of magic and all their pagan materials, and they had a big bonfire in Ephesus, and they blew it all up. And books in this age were very expensive. In fact, they calculate, the Bible says it was 50,000 days of, of works wages. That would equal millions and millions of dollars. I heard one commentator says it's approaching a billion dollars because of inflation. <laughs> and it caused such a stir that it caused riots because the whole economy that was based in idol worship was collapsing. John, who wrote Revelation would know the church of Ephesus as well. He spent the last decades of his life there until he was exiled in the Isle of Patmos. So in preparing for Jesus' second coming, Jesus has this to say to the church of Ephesus. Revelation chapter two, verse two. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. Now, in many of these churches, you'll notice that he, Jesus, for most examples, there's a few that's not, uh, most examples, they say, hey, you're doing this good. But for five of the seven, there's something really bad that if this isn't taken care of, it's going to hurt their whole witness. So at this point, John being exiled to the church, uh, he was exiled in Isle of Patmos, but they kept going, they kept laboring. They labored for the Lord to the point of exhaustion, both physically and mentally. They persevered, they patiently endured, that is an awesome thing. They did not call out or enter entertain any false teachers. That's a huge thing. And this is big because even today, many churches are entertaining false teachers. They sound 80% good, but the 20% is arsenic. The 20% will kill them. It's fatal. We'll talk more about that, more about that in the, the next church that we'll talk about in our examples today. But the Ephesians church didn't entertain this, this falsehood for a second. And when it came on standing on the truth, they did not grow weary. Their doctrine, their theology informed their practice. That's the way it should be with us. Our theology, what we see in the word of God, should inform our practice. However, there were some problems. You would think, man, they're standing on God's truth. They're not entertaining, you know, false teachers. Uh, they, they got it all together. They're, they're, they, got, they got all their volunteer roles just completely filled and maximized. Man, they're, they're doing great, right? Not so fast. Remember, Jesus can see our hearts. He can see what's going on. There was a problem. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent, do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I'll come to you. Remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Man, they were feeling good. Then all of a sudden, like, whoa, that took a turn. Whoa, you're gonna take our lamp? Woo, right? They had a hyper focus on doctrine, but they had an attitude of being right rather than loving those and encouraging those to see the word of God. They were prepared in their theology, but they were not prepared in their praise to Jesus. And that's a big deal to God. That is a very big deal to God. I think this is where many churches are at after the pandemic. They're going hard, but they're tired. Their hearts are tired. Maybe your hearts are tired this morning after two years, and now it's like, and now let's entertain World War III. It's like, oh my goodness, seriously? But don't give up in doing good. That's why Jesus commended the church of Ephesus before he went to the rebuke. 
but we need to make sure that as we continue in the things of God, that our love of God does not grow cold. Ephesus had this history, the lineage, the who's who of pastors. They were founded by Priscilla and Aquila, and they had a powerful pastor named Apollos. Sounds like TBN circa 9080, right? <laughs> you know, it's like they had all these awesome pastoral names. They founded this awesome pastoral church. Paul was there for three years. John was there. We had Bible conferences. We had books. We had it all. And Jesus is like, okay, that's great. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? The heart for the Lord and the heart for your love of people. Everything we do in this life is an act of worship and adoration of Jesus. But you know what happens when we go through the motions and we stand on what's right? We have to go to church. We have to worship. We have to serve. I have to be obedient. And I'm tired. But when you're fueled by praise and love of the Savior, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit afresh, it's not that you have to go to church. I get to go to church. I get to praise today. Back off. Yeah, I got to get to the altar today. Why? Because I'm going to praise the Lord God Almighty. I know that I'm going to hear him afresh this morning. I know that this morning after I'm done worshiping, I get to serve people. I'm going to be ready to hear for people. I get to pray for people. I get to do this. It's a big difference when we have to do something and we get to do something, church. We get to do this. We get to do this. But you won't get to the place if I get to do this. You don't fall back in love with your first love, and that's Jesus Christ. People often talk about singing time as the pregame. Listen, our singing of praise is not the pregame. It's not the coin toss even. It's the first half of the game. It fills your heart up. You begin to be aware of what the Spirit of God is doing amongst you. And it makes your heart right when we open up the revelation of the Bible. And we're like, God, speak to us. And when God speaks to us, it's not that we just learned something new. Hopefully we did or we heard something afresh or we're reminded of something. It's all about where we land with it. What are you going to do with it? Okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do now? But they lost it. They lost their first love. Praise is the fuel for mission. Without love, our works is just a noisy gong. Jesus doesn't need the Bible answer man. He needs informed people who praise their guts out and love others. I found out, like last month, Allison's family, they, they're like related to everybody in the who's who of like the Billy Graham era. Apparently we're related to the Bible answer man. So I can say that. We don't need another Bible answer man. We need you to praise your guts out. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and love people and know who Jesus Christ is and to move that mission forward. Knowledge is not bad. You need to know your Bible. Without theology, you won't have proper practice. But listen, your theology needs to go somewhere. So he's telling the church to repent, return to his first love. This is not a suggestion. If they don't, Jesus will remove the lampstand that is the anointing of his spirit over that church. I never, ever want to be in this place, ever. I want us to long for the things of God. Let anyone who has ears, let them listen to what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I'll give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is paradise of God. We need to acknowledge our responsibility. Another thing how we can acknowledge our responsibility is the exact opposite of love. It's Jesus knows what you believe. In the church of Pergamum and Thyatira, they had the exact opposite problem of the Ephesians. Where the Ephesians, they were the Bible answer people, lost their first love. This church was all about love and not about truth. Revelation 2.12 Write to the angel of the church of Pergamum. This says the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Yet you're holding to my name and did not deny your faith in me, deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you, where Satan lives. So in Pergamum, they had such a large temple. It was like a skyscraper. It was the temple of Zeus. I love how Jesus says, "Ah, it's the temple of Satan." Right? Don't 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 even love it. Right? And he's like, hey, and I know that you're holding on, and I know that your buddy Antipas, he was killed. Uh, he was boiled. He was martyred. 
you've done these things, great. But, verse 14, I have a few things against you. Some of you hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to a place, a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also hold to those that teach uh, the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So repent, otherwise I'll come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Woo! Don't want that. What's happening here is that there's a majority of people in this church, there's a majority of people in Pergamum that were following Jesus, yet they were allowing falsehood to be amongst them unchecked. And what the Bible is very clear is when there is heresy, uh, when there, and I'm not talking about discussions on minor issues, issues that don't have to do with salvation. Some of us are going to have discussions in this very series of different views of when you think Jesus could come back. Those are fine, healthy conversations. We can disagree with those. Okay, that's not a major doctrine that, that we need to fight over. We just need to say Jesus is coming back, right? You say he's not coming back, big problem. But what's happening in this church, in Pergamum, is that many people were allowing falsehood to permeate. And when that happens, it's like gangrene. It's like a cancer. It begins to take people hostage. And today we see this uh, very much like what we see in Pergamum. We see this happening in many churches and, and amongst many in, in Christendom today. People that deconstruct. They're beginning to question the major things of Scripture. The authority of Scripture. Did Jesus resurrect? Was Jesus really God? These are People that are, have huge platforms, huge churches. And I believe one voice that is fighting very hard against this, and if you haven't listened to him, you should, John Cooper from Skillet, he's using his platform as a rock star on a secular label saying, I, I'm going for this. I'm going to use my, my platform to take on these Christians, these speakers, these musicians who are deconstructing, who are bringing about heresy, and who are confusing the church. Paul states the origin of any of these teachings that are contrary to the gospel, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Paul is very clear that anything anti-gospel, anti-God's word, that people are trying to propagate and trying to teach people into is the doctrine of demons. Now listen, I'm not talking about people that have doubts. I'm not talking about people that are struggling. All right, John Cooper isn't going after those individuals, and that's not what I'm talking about either, and that's actually what's not happening here in the Church of Pergamum. It's the people that have a platform to deconvert you. People that have a platform to confuse you. People that are using their platform to try to question the very word of God. These are people that we are not to entertain for but a second, not even a second. Revelation 2.18, write to the angel of the church of Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God to the ones whose eyes are like a fiery flame, whose feet are like fine bronze. I know the works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. I know your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat meat sacrificed to idols. Now, in this church, in Thyatira, it's very similar to Pergamum. Uh, and again, they're using the language of, they use Balaam in the first example, using Jezebel. It's not Balaam and Jezebel. He's using these as examples of showing just how gross the bad teaching was in these two churches. They were trying to mix paganism with sexual immorality. Uh, in fact, what we see here is that the Nicolaitans is from the uh, individual named Nicholas. He was one of the first servants that we see in the book of Acts. He went crazy, and he believed that you should be able to hold up any sexual ethic that you want. That was his heresy. And yet what we see here, Jesus is saying, no, no. We cannot tolerate things that are contrary to God's word. Now, what we see in Thyatira wasn't just this kind of shadow group teaching bad things. We see someone who actually got the microphone, so to speak, and began prophesying over the church. This was a false prophet, a false prophet that was mixing in sexuality and mixing in falsehood. How in the world did this someone get the microphone and begin to prophesy? Have you ever thought about that? You hear these people? I got a word from the Lord. I'm like, oh, dear me, what are they going to say, Right? How in the world, and then they build these gigantic ministries. Like, how does that person fool anybody? It's because sometimes we value what we call anointed, the gifting, the gift over the fruit of the Spirit. 
Character matters. The fruit of the Spirit matters, not just the gift of the Spirit. And I think sometimes we have crucified character and the fruit of the Spirit at the altar of someone being gifted. Being gifted is very important. We need every gift of the Spirit to lift up the church and to go forward. But in order for the gifts of the Spirit to be sustainable and go somewhere fruitful, we have to have the character of Jesus. Amen? And that's not what this individual had. And Jesus stood against them. We need to know he knows how we love. He knows what we believe. Third thing, Jesus knows how you live. So we acknowledge that responsibility. We'll be accountable to how we follow his agenda. Third thing, Jesus knows how you will live. There was two of the seven churches that were faithful, and one of them this morning we'll talk about is Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Write to the angel in the church of Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know your slander of those who say that you're Jews and you're not, but you are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days, but be faithful to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Notice this. There is no rebuke for the church of Smyrna. They were maligned and called the synagogue of Satan by uh, their accusers, uh, they were afflicted, and the reason being is they refused to worship uh, the, the emperor worship. They, they, they refused to, to worship the emperor of Rome. Uh, they refused to worship the pantheon of Roman gods, and so they were called atheists, and they were called people of treason, and they were completely uh, and utterly persecuted. And we see that some of them were going to be about thrown in, uh, thrown in jail, and there was going to be a great affliction for 10 days, and imagine many of these purchase, uh, people were going to die. Many of these people were going to die in this church. Now, can you imagine if we went in there and we did this? Church of Smyrna, you follow Jesus with all your life. You know God's word and you give him all your praise. And I'll tell you what he'll do. He'll reverse this pronouncement. You won't have 10 days of poverty. You'll have 10 days of glory in your life. You'll have your Mercedes Benz. Uh, you'll have a big bank account and you'll get that promotion. Uh, you, will, you will become a person of influence and the whole world will know that you're Smyrna and you're not to be messed with. Is that what Jesus said? You will experience affliction for 10 days be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. God, uh, I'm not saying God won't bless you in your life. He, he will, and I, I'm just, I will never say he'll bless you in a particular way. Uh, blanket statement. Because what happens is, is when, we, when we want and we praise Jesus and we worship Jesus, and we get right with Jesus because we want something else, then we're not really praising Jesus or worshiping Jesus, are we? We worship and praise Jesus, and we follow him for Jesus, period. And know this, the best is yet to come, and the biggest blessing of prosperity is to come for all of us when we receive the crown of life in heaven. This life is but a waiting room of which we will be held accountable with mission. I pray for every situation in your life. I'm not minimizing it. I pray that God restores different things that are broken in your life and we believe in the God who can heal and can restore. But I never want to preach that at the expense of the ultimate crown of life we're going to receive in heaven. It demeans heaven when we do that. Do you prepared? Acknowledge reality. Jesus is the leader of the church. Acknowledge responsibility. We will be held accountable. You know, when it seems like the world is turned upside down, we have a God who is with us and he will shine brightly through your witness. You know, the Ukraine church, it's vibrant. When I was watching the war break out a few days ago, I was, I turned, I was just turning on any channel to find a live feed and I landed on CNN and it was hilarious. Uh, as they were talking, the air, air raid sirens started. You could hear the bombs drop and that's not hilarious. This is what's hilarious, okay? And, and the people started dropping on their knees and CNN's like, oh, what, what's that? And someone's like, I think they're praying. Whoop, they cut the camera, right? I had my phone out. I don't know how. I had my phone out and I said, Beep. I took a picture. This is what I saw. This is beautiful. People in the streets with the air raid sirens blaring, horrific as it is, you could hear gunshots and bombs dropping and they're on their knees. Why? 
because we have a God who's in control, a God who is coming soon, and a God who makes sense of the mess, a God who's able to meet you exactly where you're at in this life right now, and who has promised us that he's gonna restore and make all things new. This is the beautiful statement of Revelation. Yes, he's coming back. He's gonna restore new heaven, new earth. You're not gonna experience pain, separation, death, persecution, pestilence, you name it. It's gonna be gone, and he's coming back. He's coming back. So here's our prep kit. How are you prepared? What, where are you gonna be? How are you gonna be intentional this week? How is your love for Jesus? How are you treating people? How are you reaching people? Where do you need to repent? So Father, I pray right now for every single person in this room. I pray right now, God, that you would make us prepared, that we would be intentional. That God, that today, We'd realize if we're not right with you, we need to get right with you. And I want to speak to anybody in this room right now. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Savior, this is your time to get right with Jesus right now. Have you made it personal? Have you said yes to Jesus, that, that you need his forgiveness? Have you placed your faith and trust in him alone? Not anything else, not your works. Have you trusted Jesus alone, that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that he rose from the dead? The Bible says that all who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So how many of you today need to make certain of that right now? How many of you need to make personal Jesus in your life? How many of you need to ask him for his forgiveness, that your sins be washed away? If you want to receive Jesus Christ as Savior right now, let me just pray with you. For those of you who want to receive Jesus right now, every head's bowed and eyes closed, raise that hand up high. Say, yep, that's me. I want Jesus. I'm going to place my faith, trust in him alone. Okay, awesome. Anybody else? Keep raising those hands up high. Great. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. I realize I've done wrong in my life. I realize I've sinned, but you have come to make all things right. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead and help me follow you now. As we continue to pray, I wanna pray that this church would be prepared, that we would take every breathing moment to make Jesus famous in whatever we're doing. God, I just pray that whatever addiction that needs to go, those that have been trying to, to break that habit with marijuana, that today it'd be gone. To those that are having that, that struggle again with alcohol, that today it would be gone. To the person who has gone years without looking at pornography, but recently it's come back, that God, today they're, they're doing that 180 and they're, and they're repenting to you. To that person today that, that is, has been straying from you, that today they would grow close and they go to you. For those that have not been relying on the Holy Spirit, that today they'd be filled with you. So Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you come in this place? Will you fill us afresh? Will you make us renew us. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.